0: I'm going to start off by busting a myth so many Christians believe, a myth like Noah's ark that was a boat, that actually was a box. Because if you look at the measurements, there's no ways that it could be a boat. It was a box. So one of those myths that so many Christians believe is that the lion and the lamb is laying together, or one day the lion and the lamb is going to lay together. There's even songs about the lion and the lamb laying together. And it's not the truth. There's no scripture in the Bible that talks about that. Yes, the Bible is full of Jesus being the lion of Judah, our defender. And Jesus being the lamb, our sacrificial offer for our salvation but it doesn't say that the lion and the lamb is going to lie together. Where that originated from is from Isaiah 11, verse 6, which says, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Also in Isaiah 65, 25, it says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. In that same passage, it also talks about the lion, but it's not with the lamb. It says, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. It also says in Isaiah 65 that the lion shall eat straw like an oxen. No lamb and lion together. Just think, why do we say wolves in sheep's clothing? And I'm going to leave you with that thought. And I'm going to end off with what I started with. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome tonight. Without you, none of this means anything. Without you, my words is just going to evaporate and mean nothing. Please, explode in their brains tonight. Make them think. Stir it in their hearts. Make them ponder about the information that you're going to receive. Thank you for this opportunity, so that I, the small letter teacher, the small letter T teacher, can be used by the capital letter T teacher, tonight to bring truth, only your truth, only scripture to prove that this is the truth, not any opinion, none of any man, not my own, none, only you. When I open my mouth to speak, you fill it with your words and your wisdom. Amen. So this is very basic. So it starts with the basics, and from there on, it grows roots, and it goes deep. It goes very, very deep. So what I thought I knew, I did not know. And every time I present this, and this is not the first time that I've presented this, I learn something new. experience something deeper that I did not know the previous time and that is what I want Holy Spirit to do for you tonight every time anybody would talk about a disciple being a disciple doing the work of a disciple or ask the question to say when lost did you disciple a heaviness came in my heart. A heaviness came on my shoulders. The yoke became hard. And it was subconsciously. I kept telling myself, it's not you that's doing the work. It's the power of God through you. But that heaviness was there. Not wanting to disappoint. Not, Not wanting to fail. Wanting to do it good. Every time when we're done discipling or being on the streets, praying for someone, whatever it is that the disciple do, it's like a relief. I've made it. It's done. It wasn't that bad. It actually was good. But that relief that came after that, it's because we think we know, but we don't know. And tonight we're going to see how does this all fit together? Why do we feel anxious when we have to do these things? Why does healings and prophecies and miraculous things and make us so excited but also so nervous? To understand that, we have to go way back. To where did the disciple originate? What made disciples to be called for? Because there wasn't disciples always. At a certain point, there was disciples. So why and where did it start? So way in the beginning, the only way for them to tell what happened with God and history was to tell the story. To tell history over, word by word of mouth. And for someone else to understand it, I would try to explain it in my way, as clear as possible. And as time went by, the generations wasn't there to see what happened. It wasn't in their lifetime. So trying to describe it to them, trying to make them understand, I would have to be um, initiative on trying to explain things that's not explainable. So what happened is, is they got off track. They added things not to mislead anybody, but by their own interpretation and by only hearing what my father said, trying to understand what he said. Now I'm interpreting it the way I understand it. And so they got a bit off off track. So they decided that they're going to have people and they're going to train them. And what they was to do is to study the word, word for word when the Torah was there. They had to study the Torah word for word so that that thing will not happen where we drift of course. And they would then teach the next generation and the next generation on exactly what was in the Torah. And that is where disciples started. So a disciple, everybody would go to school and they would study the Torah. And the ones that could memorize the Torah best, they were selected to be the rabbis. Because you had to memorize that. Because if you had a question and you come to me and you talk to me about it, I had to tell you from scripture, word for word. I cannot run to the temple, quickly get the scroll. Okay, now come back and read to you what it said there. I had to memorize that information so that when I give the information to you, it is the correct version of the story. Because back then there was many different versions. Of the same story. And that's how the disciples started. So what the disciple had to do once he was chosen is he had to go stay with his rabbi. And the rabbi would have to teach him how to present the scripture, how to read the scripture, and he would have to copy his um, rabbi word for word as he would do it. So what happened is, is that the disciples started to talk the way the rabbi talked. And as time went on, they started to adapt certain um, mannerisms of the rabbi. Walking like the rabbi walked, dressing like the rabbi dressed, um, and then it went to extremes. And that's why, back in the Bible's time, they could see. Oh, that's Paul's disciple because he's got some mannerisms of Paul. Um, And that's exactly the same thing Jesus did with his disciples. He took them in, they stayed with him, or he stayed with them, and he taught them. And for a certain amount of time, they were not allowed to do anything, they were only there to listen and observe. So Jesus would go out and he would preach and he would heal and he would do all kinds of miracles and they would watch what he is doing and they would come back and he would teach them about what happened, why it happened, where it is in scripture and all of that. And that's all they did until he sent them out. They didn't do anything until he told them to go and he sent them out two by two because how do I know that was the first time that they actually went out and did some, something? They came back and they said, even the demons listened to us. They were surprised. They were like, wow, Lord, did you know this? The demons listened to us when we used your power. They listened. And that's how we know that that was the first time they went out on their own to practice what they've been taught. And this is where we, as disciples, lack. We have not had people to walk with frequently enough to get to see how it's done, see how scripture goes with what is done, understand the scripture, know which scripture goes with what piece, so that what they do there makes sense to me. It's like the natural thing. It's like I don't even question it. I know it. But today we go out and we do all these things that su- disciples are supposed to do. They do healings and prophecies and uh, mirac- miraculous things. And, and they do the gospel and, and we get this anxiousness. What if I fail? What if I get it wrong? What if it doesn't happen? Um, I want it to happen, and and all that anxiety that goes with that. We have to know that there was a plan. Plan A. I like to call it A plan. Because if you say plan A, it means that there could maybe be a plan B or a plan C. So there was A plan, only one. From the beginning, one plan. And that was that all of the nations were supposed to live in Christ. Adam and Eve lived in Christ. They ruled and they walked with God in Christ. And when they sinned, they stepped out of Christ. And the plan was that we were supposed to be in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, because all nations come from Adam and Eve. Some chose to stick to to the things they knew and close to God, where others chose to drift further away from God and became the Gentiles. But they all originated from Adam and Eve. And all of them were supposed to live. In Christ. So now, as a young child, I always understood that everybody's got a boss. Everybody's got somebody telling them what to do, when to do it, and to check that that's actually been done. Even the president has got somebody checking on him. And even if the government that was put together to check on the president could not do that, other countries would check on this country's president, and if this country's president didn't do what they, what they thought was proper or normal, they would sanction that country, forcing that country to get back on board. So I understood everybody had somebody to check. And I wondered, who checked God? Who was God's boss? Who was checking to see that God did what he promised? Who knows? Maybe. I was just so bad that he just skipped some of the promises on me. Or, I didn't measure that exact thing. And that promise, well, sorry, you cannot get that one. Who checked? Who checked to see that everybody got a fair share at whatever was available? It's only later that I discovered that God's word, his spoken word, The words that he actually said was his boss. Once a word was said and it left his mouth, it would be on top of him. It would be his ruler, kind of. Not that God had to say a rule to say anything, to have him abide by it. He did it so that we can see that his word and his character match. Once he said it, we can check it, we can prove it against his character. So God will not do a thing without saying it first so that we can check that whatever he's doing matches his character. And he will not go against his character. That's why we know that the spoken word, now we have the written word, is the thing that makes him abide by his own rules. The first one that we're going to look at tonight is Genesis 1.26. This was the plan. This was the spoken plan that we can use to see what was the plan from the beginning until today, until Jesus comes. This was the plan. So, then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, I know in is a very small word, but it's got a very great significance. It has the most impact in that sentence there. Because that tells us that we were supposed to be in his image. In Christ. His image and according to his likeness. So to understand likeness, we're going to come back to image just now. To understand likeness, I'm going to do the flip side of the coin. I'm going to show you what our likeness is. And that we're going to do in Philippians 2 verse 7. And it said there, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. Now the likeness of men is what we are, what we feel in the flesh, what we do in the flesh. We get cold, we get hungry. Um, We have emotions that um, we have to learn. Um, We don't know everything the first time around. So he emptied himself and he came as a man. Now, we need to understand emptied himself. Emptied himself means that he took his godliness. He was God when he came on to earth. He, he was never not God. But he had to put his godliness aside. And he had to be a man. He had to learn like we learn today. He had to go through everything we go through in order to do that sacrificial thing he did. Otherwise, it was cheating. My kids used to say that I pull the mom card. They say, "Oh, I've been very mom card. And that means that I use my authority. So when things get out of hand, I pull my mom card and I say, that's it, done, over, klaar. I used my mom card, I used my authority to step into the situation to end it. So God was not allowed. Jesus was not allowed to use his God card. He was not allowed to tap into his wisdom. He was not allowed to tap into any of his godly characteristics. He had to do it like a man did. This is another shocking fact. When Jesus was born, he did not know he was God's son. Because he had to learn just like we did. That's why God chose Mary and Joseph to be his parents. And we're not going into Mary and Joseph's history now. But that's why God chose them to be Jesus' parents. Because he knew that they are going to give him the right information, take him to the right places so that he will get to that place where he learned that he was God's son. And step up into that position. So now we know how Jesus came in our likeness. So when he said let's create man in our likeness it means not like we have here on earth. Like he has in heaven. Okay? His um, image is his heart. His character. So to have his heart and to have his character and to Experience things like he did, like he does. Colossians 1:15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus came in our likeness so that we can be changed into God's image. He was the first. He walked the earth. He showed us that it's possible. To do this in your manly manner, fashion, form, whatever it is you want to think of yourself, it is possible because he did it as a man. With no sin, with no sickness, with no whatever it is that we have. He lived on this earth, but not from the earth. We're on this earth, but we're not from the earth. And I'm going to go back to the point why. I'm so adamant on this point. And you will catch on as we, we go. So what happened when we get reborn or washed clean or get a new life? When we receive salvation, this was mind-blowing for me. When I think about it, it's still mind-blowing for me. When this was opened up to me to understand what happens at salvation, what did Christ come to do? He did not wash your nail clean, give me a clean slate, and said, here you are, try again, this time get it right. It's not what he did. What he did is he made an exchange. He said, I'll take your life, and I'll go to the cross, and you take my life. When God looks at the cross... He sees Janelle hanging there. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Because that's the new life I got. I got a new one, not a clean one, not an old one being cleaned, a new one. And that new one that I got was his. He said, I'm going to die on the cross in your place. You take my life. An exchange took place there. That was woe for me. That was just like. Boosh. Romans 28, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Foreknew. Before he created earth. He foreknew. That now. Was going to be predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. God, if you want to, because Christ is God in the flesh. Predestined was plan A. God knew that Adam was going to make a mistake and step out of Christ. Before he created earth, he had Jesus, the plan, ready. And I know it sounds like, for me, it always, I I thought that, why would he wait so long? Why would he wait so long before he sent Jesus? And why would he have so many people suffer before Jesus came and we have the opportunity to step back into Christ? Because the minute you give your life to Christ, you step back into Christ. This is another mind-blowing thing for me. I am where Adam was. The only difference is when Adam was in Christ, he didn't have a corrupt mind. I have, to get rid of the, I have to get rid of the lies and replace it with the truth. That's not the end. That's only the beginning. Then I have to practice that truth until I believe it. So after the cross, we live in Christ. I battled with this question. Why did he wait so long? He said to me, when you leave your dog and you go to work, for him it feels like hours, days that you're gone. For you it feels short. A bee's life is but a few days. So everything that happens in a bee's life is very quick. It's very... But imagine a bee had to suffer for a whole day. It's like a... a A quarter of his life that he had to suffer. He says, I'm outside of time. What seems long to you is very quick for me. So I get to live where Adam lived. We carry his image, we are being transformed into his fullness. Because just because I step back into Christ doesn't mean automatically I know everything and I can do everything and I'm I'm there. It's an ongoing process. Taking the lie out, putting the truth in, practicing that truth. Taking the next lie out, putting the truth in, practicing that truth. Takes time. The image of God is fully ours. Not partially, fully. Whatever Jesus had, we have. He said, I give my everything to you. I give my life to you. So what you have is what I have. Now we need to transform our minds, live in that place, and gather the thoughts. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 18. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. For this is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay. So we're looking in the mirror. When we look in the mirror, we're supposed to see ourselves on the other side. But in this case, we're dead. We're hanging on the cross. Dead. Because if you had to hang on that cross, you wouldn't have made it. So you're dead. So once you acknowledge that it's you that hang on that cross, you know you're dead. Actually, you're a pile of dust under the cross because you... rotten and there's nothing left of you anymore so I'm dead what I'm supposed to see in the mirror is Jesus but when I look in the mirror I see a blurry mirror because there's still a lot of lies that make me not see Jesus when I look in that mirror I see the mistakes that I do I see all the failures every day it's because that lies are still covered between me and the mirror my mind is not transformed yet But the Lord said that the glory of the Lord, not my glory, not my efforts, not anything that I do. The glory of the Lord is what will come. This is what will, will generate in me when I start believing this, when I start putting the old man off, putting the new man on. Every time the devil lies, I put the lie off, I put the new man on. That glory that, that stirred in me is what the people will see. And then we grow from glory to glory. As we get to transform our minds, as we get to live in this, the glory of the Lord gets more visible. People start to see something's happening. And then we do not do any of this the holy spirit does it all for me it's his work that's why we got him to do this for me so how do i change how do i get the glory how how do i start this transformation thing to grow in the knowledge of god to grow in the knowledge of what Christ did for me? What did he give me? What was that transaction that took place there? When I get to get the knowledge of that, the glory starts forming. The transformation starts happening. 2 Corinthians 5 17 to 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Because you got Christ. You are in him. He gave his life to you. The old things have passed away. Dead. Hanging on the grass. You're dead. It's passed away. And look. What does it say look? Because if transformation takes place, people around you have to see. You cannot transform your mind living where Adam lived and no one can see it. And look. New things have come. People will start to see the new thing in you, the new life that's starting to develop in you. Everything we received, everything Christ gave you, is from God. We have to believe what Christ did for me that I am a new creation. I received his light. There is no more darkness. Darkness and light cannot be in the same space. If I am in Christ, there cannot be any darkness in there. How can there be darkness if I am in Christ? Now you say, yeah, but I still do this and um, I don't get all of this right. It's like having a baby. You know that baby is not going to be able to do everything the minute you get it. It's a process. So God understands that. He has mercy on us. No, That's why when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see all the mistakes you do. The old is dead. Sin. I do not want to sin anymore because I want to get to that place where Adam and Eve lived. And if I want to get to that place... Where I can walk as Jesus walked the earth, I don't want to do the sin anymore. And I can let the old man lie. And I won't drag him with me, I'll try to kick him off me. I just want to say this when you receive a truth, to practice that truth is not that easy. And I'm going to use a quick example. And I know Milan knows the example now, but it's a very, very short version. So I understood that if I received everything Christ has, Christ was never sick. He was not ill, ever. That's my portion. Okay, so I'm going to walk in this. I don't get sick often. I don't get headaches often, but when I do, it's horrible headaches. So... Um, I had a headache, and I talked to this headache. I said, gone, go, you, I'm in Christ, you're not allowed here, yeah, go, uh, I did, uh, nothing happened. And I said to the Lord, I understand that I'm in you, and I'm not supposed to have this, but I have this, so why does not want to go? I, I told it to go, it doesn't want to go, he says. You either believe that I paid for it, or you don't. I said, okay, I believe you paid for it. Go. You have to go. You're not allowed here. Go in Jesus' name. Just be gone. Long story short, eventually it left. It obeyed. By the help of the Holy Spirit, it left. A few days later, I got a pain in my My back I don't know if it was a muscle or a wind that got stuck or I just know if I turned a certain way, it was very sore. So a few days went by and I was battling with this. And I said, you're not here, go away, what are you doing here? You have no authority here, I have the authority, I stand in Christ, all this authority is mine, you have to go. And I was fighting this thing. Eventually I said to the Lord, I give up. I've tried everything I know. I don't know how to get rid of this thing. And he said, there's nothing wrong with your belief in me. You know that I can do anything. Your problem is you don't believe that I will do it for you. And I said, I wanted to argue there, and I thought, but that's not the truth. That's, I've been trying this whole time, getting rid of it. But you know, when you're talking to the Lord, you just know that in your heart down there, it was actually hiding down there. It was the truth. Somehow, doubt came, told me all these things, the lies Satan told me. Why? I cannot be healed. I choose to believe the lie. For a split second, I choose to believe that lie. That was just an example to show you. Practicing this, truth that you find it's not always just that easy it's gonna take time you're gonna have to get on your tricycle with your side wheels on and you're gonna ride with it and then you're gonna take the side wheels off and you're gonna try and you're gonna fall and you're gonna get back on and you're gonna practice this until you get it so this pain in my body left when I got into bed I realized huh, this pain's gone it's gone. Because what I said to myself is, okay, you're a lie. You're a lie. You're not real. You're not there. I'm done with you. And I just left it there and I went on with my day. And when I got to go to bed that night, I realized, oh, my pen is gone. Somewhere in the day, it's gone. So two or so days later, I wake up. I'm still lakadiriblare. And I feel... Oh, headache. It's starting. Yeah, at the back. And, it, and when it starts there, it's one of those bad ones. And I flew out of bed. I sat up and I said, no, what are you doing here? I'm like very like disgusted. How dare you? Gone. But when I realized, because God said to me, because I, said, I spoke to him about the pain in my back and, and it being there and I cannot get rid of it. And I said to him, I can feel it. It's there. I can feel it. When I do eh, this, it's sore. Do you want to say that it's a figment of my imagination? He said, yes. I said, but I can feel it. He says, when you believe a thing, hard enough, it will manifest as if it is. There can only be one of two. I either paid for it, or you believe the lie. One of the two. There's no middle in between. You didn't die for certain things and certain things not, meaning sickness now, when it comes to your health. So, did I get it right now? Do I not get sick anymore? Do I not? No, I'm not there yet. I still have this thing. But I realized, and something in my spirit, something, I have a knower. I don't know if you have a knower, but I have a knower. When I know something, it's in my knower. And something in my knower clicked. And I know that it's possible to walk on this planet with no illness, will I see it? I hope so. Jesus might I please see it. But I'm going to do the best that I can to get as close as I can to that place where Adam and Eve was, to that place where Jesus walked the earth. And if it's possible, if I can get there, wow. Well, this is what it means. To be a disciple. This is the very, very beginning of being a disciple. Being trained. Observing. Learning. Seeing what the master is doing. Studying what the master is doing. Before I can go out and talk about it. Or do it for people. The disciples did not do anything. Anything until they were sent. Only after they came back, they were allowed to help people and cast out demons, because then they had time practicing this. Now I am excited. Now it's not a burden. Now it burns. It's a desire. It's hard to contain this, because I want to tell the people That there's a possibility. They need to step back in Christ. They need to understand where they are. You are double layered. You've got Christ around you and you've got God around him. The devil cannot touch you. That's why he needs a bow and arrow to shoot the lie to you. Because he cannot get close enough to tell the lie to you. This is what it means when it says, take up your cross and follow Jesus. It means I have to recognize that I'm hanging on that cross, I'm dead, I'm not living anymore, I live in Christ. And in him, I get to follow him wherever he goes. The gift was to return us back to the Father. Plan A. So I just quickly want to wrap this up by going through a few verses to state what I was talking about just now, explaining the plan, why it was like that. It's not my words. None of this is my words. All in scripture. I have been, have been, past tense, crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I think it says it clear enough there. But Christ lives in me, or rather, me in Him. And the life I now, at this moment, not in the future, the life that I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave his life to me. He gave all of him to me. Colossians 3 verse 3 to 4. For you have died, And your life is hidden with the Messiah in God, double-layered. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. The transformation, that glory that you need to shine through when you shine Jesus. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to, that makes it possible for you, life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him, The knowledge that I've given you now. The small granule that I've given you now. That knowledge. The start of the knowledge of him. What he did for you. What you received in him. Who called us to his own glory and excellence. His glory. His excellence. You called to that. By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, and that them is the promises. Those promises makes it possible for you to become a partaker in the divine nature. God's divine nature is yours. You have patience. Because you have Christ's patience. Patience. You can love because you have received God's love. You have authority because His authority is your authority. You have position because His position is your position. You sit in Christ at the right hand of God, ruling with God. Your position, your authority in Him. It's not my work. I cannot do this. I have to believe the truth. I have to put the old man down, kick him in the head if you have to, and put the new man on. John 14:27, our last verse. I a peace I leave with you. My peace it's Jesus talking here. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why does he say, I give you my peace? Why not my love? Because that's a great thing. Why did he say, I leave you my peace? Because you received his patience. And when you act in his patience, it leaves peace. You received his love. And when you act in his love, it brings peace. And now you can fill in anything there. You received his kindness. You received his power. You received his authority. You received whatever it is that you want to fall in there. And it will all relate back to peace. Because God wants peace between him and his children. And this is my inheritance. Christ. To be able to step back into him. And to live there. And to rule with God in Christ like Adam and Eve did. Clear out this thing. His peace, his patience, his mind, his joy, his life, his spirit, glory, nature, position, authority, and you can fill in the list. All of that is mine. So this is what I do When I catch myself dragging the old man, trying to revive him by being impatient, I tell myself that my mind has stepped out of Christ and is in the world, doing the old man things in the world. And I tell him, What are you doing there? Come back here in Christ. You have peace. And then I just try and recollect myself and try again to be patient. I have patience. I have God's patience. I can deal with this. I can deal with whatever it is that I needed to deal with. Do I get it right? Not as often as I want to. But yeah, I have. I have managed to have that absolute patience where I was just agitated, frustrated, irritated. I could get my head out of the world, pull it back into Christ, and I have the peace, and I can deal with the situation, and it would not agitate me, it would not anger me, it would not... What? I'm still practicing this. So that's just my two cents on what we do at New Thirst. Back to the, the wolf and the lamb. I almost forgot about the wolf and the lamb. So what is he talking about, the wolf and the lamb? It is the serene relationship under perfect dominion of the Prince of Peace which is where I am I am in the Prince of Peace I will bring dominion over the lies put it under my feet so that I can look at the world I will be saddened by the knowledge that they don't know what Christ did for them they don't know what they have they don't know what they can have, and that saddens me and stirs love in my heart. So that the wolf will have no fangs, and the lion will eat straw.